Hey, what's going on, everybody? Today's show is brought to you by our friends over at Zipix Toothpicks. You know I love these guys, and I love their product. It's, they are nicotine-infused flavored toothpicks that help you curb those nicotine cravings from time to time, or just catch a buzz if that's uh, something that you're looking to do. And if you're not a smoker, they have B12 and caffeine-infused toothpicks as well. These things are just great. They're cheaper than any of the -the over-the-counter smokeless alternatives. They still give you that hand-to-mouth feel that smokers desire. You can do them indoors. You can do them at restaurants, next to people. You don't have to, you know, get ten feet from everybody. So you don't. And you're not going to smell like smoke or taste like cigarettes or anything like that. So go check them out at Zipix Toothpicks. That's Z as in zebra. I P as in Paul. P as in Paul. I X toothpicks.com use my promo code fiction so they know i sent you you'll get 10 percent off your order that is zipix toothpicks.com promo code fiction and i can't verify this because i haven't had a hangover in over a year now since i've developed this abnormal superpower but i have been told that the b12 infused caffeine toothpicks can really help mitigate those hangover symptoms. So if you're a big drinker, and let's face it, I think all of our alcohol intake has gone up quite a bit since they locked us all in our houses for a year. And if you're having a little trouble with those groggy mornings, the the day, the morning after you um, throw back a few too many, which we're about to actually do here in a couple hours with the Friday night happy hour, maybe these are something that you're going to need. So go and check them out, zippixtoothpicks.com, promo code FICTION. All right, let's start the show. Anyone claiming that America's economy is in decline is peddling fiction. I've abandoned free market principles to save the free market system. But we have to pass the bill so that you can uh, find out what is in it. Raising the debt ceiling does not increase our debt. It does not somehow promote profligacy. I know words. I have the best words. Nobody knows the system better than me, which is why I alone can fix it. I stand here tonight one day shy of the 100th day of my administration. 100 days since I took the oath of office and lifted my hand off our family Bible and inherited a nation we all did that was in crisis. The worst pandemic in a century. The worst economic crisis since the Great Depression. The worst attack on our democracy since the Civil War. Now, after just 100 days, I can report to the nation, America is on the move again. (laughs) You could say that again. We are certainly on the move again. Unfortunately, we are on the move off of a fucking cliff. But but welcome back, everybody. This is the Peddling Fiction Podcast, and I am your host, the voice and soul of so-called fiction, Johnny the Gentile Profita. Happy Friday, everybody. I am squeezing in another Friday evening episode before our happy hour begins. If you couldn't tell from the intro, we will be talking about Biden's first State of the Union address, although they don't call the first one a State of the Union address for some reason. It's like this joint 
address to Congress or joint session address or whatever the hell they call it. I don't know why that is. I guess it's just because you haven't been in office yet. But, it, it you know, for all intents and purposes, it is a State of the Union address. And my God, is it just fucking unbearable. I didn't actually watch it live. And apparently a whole bunch of other people didn't as well because, let's see, I have the numbers here. And it, you know it's hard to tell from from the uh, the crowd there because you're not sure if just nobody wanted to come watch Joe Biden speak or they just limited the number of people for uh, the theatrical purposes of COVID virtue signaling because there was like one congressperson per row in this in the fucking building which has like enormous you know it's enormous rooms got huge high ceilings and everything and all of these congressmen and women they've all been vaccinated for a hundred percent they've they've both they've all gotten both of their vaccine shots and they're all still wearing masks in fact i i'm surprised joe biden took off his mask to give this just unbelievably boring speech chalked full of just lies uh uh just bolt like the whole thing was just complete bullshit i don't understand why people actually watch these things i mean apparently there were 34 million fewer people that watched joe biden's speech than donald trump's first state of the union address but why anybody listens to politicians i mean the whole thing is just a laundry list of horseshit that they're either planning on doing or that they, they, they claim they're going to do or that they claim they've already done and they're taking credit for it. And then a laundry list of things that they're going to do over the next four years, right? And, of course, none of this ever happens. <laughs> I mean, if, if half of what presidents have taken credit for and promised over the last couple hundred years had come true, we wouldn't have any problems at all, would we? We'd just be in a fantastic, the, the most richest, most prosperous country the world has ever seen. There would be no problems, yada, 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 except that eh, you look around and it's basically the exact opposite. Basically the exact opposite. They all say the exact same shit every year, year after year, presidency after presidency. We keep throwing money at these problems, more and more money at these problems, and you know we're getting ready to dump another two trillion into this one to start with, for his uh, America plan. What, what the hell is he called? America's Family Plan or something like that? I, I don't know, some stupid name. And that's just going to be the tip of the iceberg, and we'll we'll get into some of that stuff that he talks about. But my God, like how much longer are you idiots going to watch this stuff? And and think that anything they say has any merit to it whatsoever. I mean, this is just a whole bunch of nonsense. And it's like one of these rituals that we do. And if you've if you've been red-pilled on any of this, it's it's hard to not watch this and just think of the, the this as a religion, the religion of the state. And this is just one of the the things that you do every year. I don't know, like you go to midnight mass on Christmas Eve. This is the equivalent of that. It's just one of the religious uh, ceremonies of the state that we do. And this is this one was just so fucking bizarre, man. So bizarre. I mean, everyone's masked up except Joe. Joe Biden walks in with the mask. 
He does that idiotic thing that you walk through the doors, but then once you get to your seat, or in this case, the podium, then you can take your mask off. And of course, all of them should be able to take their masks off, right? Because they've all, I know they've all been vaccinated. I'm sure they were all vaccinated before all the plebs that think they, that the government works for them. And he even mentions at the end of the speech, you know, we are the government, we the people of the, you know, all that shit that we tell ourselves, all those lies. But you know that everybody in government, all of these uh, higher ups, you know, everybody in Congress, all these senators, the vice president, the president, they all got that vaccine before it was made public to the peons. And so why are they sitting one fucking idiot to a row, maybe two? They're, they're sitting like 20 feet apart with their masks on. Everybody, I'm sure, was even probably tested too. They've been vaccinated. They've been tested. They're And they're still doing all this ritualistic stuff. This is all just political theater. And this it's very weird to just watch them go through these ritualistic ceremonies as part of this larger thing to sort of sell you on this idea of government, right? And the holy nature of government and, and how we should be worshiping these people. Uh, it's really just really fucking bizarre to watch. And of course, I didn't watch this live. I went out, it was this Wednesday night. I, I went out Wednesday night and just got bombed. And so I watched the the replay of it online at like, thank God I did. Dude, Joe Biden is just the most boring fucking public speaker I, I've seen in a really long time. Uh, Trump was, you know, Trump would just like talk, you know, he just gets up there and he just kind of wings it. And that made it interesting. And you never knew what he was going to say. Obama was obviously a great orator, but dude, Joe Biden is slow. And I mean, he didn't have any like huge gaffes. He had this one part where uh, I'll probably play the clip a little later, but he, he was like, nobody should have to choose between a job and a paycheck, which I, I think I know what he was trying to say, but he didn't quite execute that very well. But he didn't have any like huge gaffes or anything, but he's just so, I mean, you, you saw that, that opener, right? And that wasn't even the, the full open. I cut like half of that out just because it's so slow and boring and he repeats himself and it's like, ooh. I, I don't know why anybody would watch this live when you can, if you really need to, you can go back and watch it on YouTube at two times speed. Then he's actually tolerable, which is what I did. But lucky for you fine folks, I suffered through this entire goddamn thing so that you didn't have to. And we're going to go over uh, some of his talking points that we went through here. And I'm going to point out all of the propaganda and the political lies and bullshit that he goes through in case you you guys had any doubt as to what was uh actually the truth here but uh just to uh reiterate the point that uh biden is you know the the most popular president in american history the ratings showed that 11.6 million people watched biden's speech compared to 45.6 million that watched Trump's address in 2018. Um, that is the lowest number of Americans who, who, the lowest number of Americans who watched Trump's State of the Union throughout his four years was 37 million. That, that I mean, that's astronomically higher than Joe Biden's, and it just really goes to show you that who knows if that election was on the up and up. I still have my doubts about that, but even if it was, people just voted 
because it wasn't Trump. And then they're just tuning out of this entire presidency. Biden barely managed to beat the viewership of the Oscars that I was ripping on last episode. They had like 9.8 million and Biden had like, I don't know, maybe 3 million more than that. And if you go and like look at all of the videos online on like YouTube and stuff like that, the down vote, like he gets ratioed so fucking hard. It's like he'll have like 700 likes and 8,000 fucking thumbs down. And you know, you also know if you uh, follow this sort of stuff that YouTube like manipulates those things and they get rid of like 10 up to 10% or something of the the negative down votes and everything like that to make Biden look a little less like of a joke than he actually is. But we all kind of knew that Biden was just going to be an empty suit up there. But my God, dude, some of the stuff that he's talking about is just like that. I don't think we are going to survive this um, this presidency, uh, if you want to call it four years or if you want to just, you know, the the next two terms. Right. I think will belong to Democrats. Um, so if it's like Biden for a couple of years and then it's Harris and then I don't know, somebody else. But I don't think. Either way, if they only if the Democrats only serve four term, uh, one term, you know, four years, and then we have Republicans take over, what happens over the next eight years? I don't see how we survive that as a country. There was there's some of Joe Biden's speech that I'll play toward the end, how he ended it talking about the democracy, and how democracies endure over time, and I just don't see that happening. The reason democracies fail. One of the reasons, the main reason, is because they're they're set up for failure. Like it's once people figure out that they can vote themselves other people's money, right? And politicians know where the votes are. The votes are in the poor and the middle class because there's a lot more of them than there are the millionaires and the billionaires. Which is why Joe Biden's entire plan is to do exactly what every other fucking president, um, every other Democratic president says they're going to do, which is tax the rich and give a bunch of stuff, free stuff, to the poor and the middle class. And the pro- one of the problems, one of the many problems with democracy is that once the vast majority of people realize that they can sit on their keisters and vote themselves a bunch of free stuff from all the productive people in the democracy, all of a sudden you get fewer and fewer productive people. You know, think of it like a a big rope, a giant rowboat that we're in, right? Uh, You know, at one point, very early on, everybody was rowing. Back before we had all of these uh, social programs, all these welfare programs, back before when we had before we had a Federal Reserve, before we had an income tax, people came here. Uh, immigrants came here from all over the world with nothing, with no guarantee, no social safety net, no nothing. You came here and you worked your ass off and it was a sink or swim situation. And a lot of people, a lot of them, like, I don't know if a lot of people realize this, but like, I think... And you can um, double check me on these numbers, but I think it was like up to a third of the immigrants that came over here initially went back over to Europe because they just couldn't uh, handle it. They couldn't handle it. But over time, especially once you get the Federal Reserve and you get FDR and the the New Deal and all this shit, once they start stealing from the uh, rich to give to the poor, more and more of those people in the rowboat just stop rowing. Okay? Okay. And the and the boat starts to slow down, 
and and the the ones that are rowing keep looking around and more and more people aren't are stop rowing the boat and they're looking at at themselves be like why am i busting my ass if the every time i do somebody like biden comes in there and says i need to pay my fair share why don't i just take uh you know take the afternoon off i'll stop rowing for a while and i'll start getting some of this stuff and you know you just you bankrupt the nation and i mean Look look at these numbers. I've I've ran through them many times before on this show. We are completely bankrupt. There is no money left to pay for any of this. I don't care if you tax the rich at a hundred percent. It is over. The party is over for the American people. You know, he was saying that so, oh, the sun had like people are saying that the sun might be setting on the American democracy. Oh, it's fucking set. It, it, it is set. It is hitting that horizon right now. We got, you know, the last like four seconds before the sun hits the bottom of that horizon and it's gone forever. We are done for. And any anybody telling you otherwise is not telling you the truth. Now, I don't know exactly how long it's going to take for that sun to finish setting on this failed uh, democracy experience, but there's nothing unique about America. You know, we, this thing, this idea of American exceptionalism and, you know, we're special. So we, we don't, uh, we're not going to fall into the, the typical pitfalls that all these other democracies that have, every democracy has failed throughout history. There has not been one democracy that hasn't collapsed on itself. It just, it, it just happens because it's built into the into the structure. It's built into the cake, baked into the cake, so to speak. There's there's nothing unique about America or the American people that is going to uh, change that. It, it it's like go back to the whole Ponzi scheme thing that I've talked about before on the show. America's running the largest Ponzi schemes ever known to man, and just because they're bigger doesn't mean they're not susceptible to the same things that make Ponzi schemes collapse. Eventually they're they're all going to collapse. There's there's nothing special about what we're doing here. This is we're doing the exact same things that uh, failed states, banana republics have done throughout history. And it's only a matter of time before this this whole thing just fucking blows up. One thing I did find kind of interesting was that I'm pretty sure, you know, I listened to just about the whole thing. I, I skipped over, you know, a minute or two here or there when they were clapping and, and, you know, all that bullshit. But I don't think he ever said that the state of our union is strong. And maybe that's maybe he didn't say that because it was technically not the state of the union. But I'm pretty sure every president I can remember would always say that the state of the union is strong, even though it's. Clearly not. I mean, this is this is the least strong union we've ever had by far. I mean, I guess maybe, yeah, go back to the Civil War or something like that when we were killing each other by the hundreds of thousands. Okay, the union was a little less strong then. But, I mean, you could just see the cracks in this everywhere. And this you could just tell that this is like an abusive relationship that everybody wants out of, but we're all in denial about it and nobody will just face the fact that we need a national divorce. Anyway, yeah, I wrote down some of the uh, like the minute marks where he talked about things that I felt the need to address. I don't know if I'll be able to get through all of it today. I have about an hour before I have to wrap and 
ideally I'd like to wrap a little bit before then. I don't think you guys want an hour and 20 minute podcast or however long I've already been ranting and raving. So, you know, he starts off talking about COVID and the state of, you know, how we, um, he came in and it was like the worst economy ever and all this joblessness. And in the first hundred days, he, he created more jobs than any other president ever before, which is just a, another great example of just spin. Obviously, when you're you're coming in in the uh, the middle of a pandemic, when you've shut down the entire country for a year and, and things are finally starting to open back up against their will, by the way, I mean, if it were if Biden had his um, if Biden had his way and the Democrats had their way, all of these cities would still be locked down. I mean, the only ones that are opening up are like Texas, Florida and, and you know, like, I don't know, like the Carolinas or something. I don't know. All those all those historically uh, Republican type states seem to be opening up a lot faster than the, the Democratic ones. But to say that he's created jobs, I mean, we'll, we'll set aside the fact that politicians don't create jobs, at least not productive jobs. Um, and presidents certainly don't create any goddamn jobs. But all of the jobs that are coming back into existence, it's not that we're creating new jobs. These are jobs that they forcefully shut down, and now they're being restored. So let's not pretend that this is some miraculous economic growth. It's not. And, you know, he's bemoaning the fact that all of these people are suffering during the pandemic because they're not allowed to work. It's like they're, they're talking, you know, he's talking about how they're lining up to get food put in their cars and um, the, the, they had to wait and to get their child and to, to see a doctor because they didn't have uh, health insurance because they they lost their job because they were, well, forced out of the job by people like Joe Biden. The, the government did this. Okay, COVID did not do this. COVID is a virus that, yeah, if you're Joe Biden's age and you have a bunch of underlying conditions or if, if you're like morbidly obese like a lot of Americans are, it could be a pretty serious problem. But for the vast majority of Americans, especially the ones that are working now, people under the age of 65, COVID is just a, a thing that gives you a fever and, and maybe a cough for a few days, maybe a few, maybe two weeks at the most, and then you get on with your life. And for the vast majority of young people, like um, as, as talked about infamously on the Joe Rogan podcast with the great comic Dave Smith, it's not a big deal for young people. This does not really affect young people. COVID did not shut down the economy. COVID did not put 10 million people out of work. COVID did not close down millions of businesses across the, the country. Politicians did that. The government did that. So let, let, let's get that straight right here. And then after he sort of bemoans all of the, the effects of the government's reaction to COVID, he starts giving himself a, a huge pat on the back, him and the rest of the government, right? Because of all the great things they've done to save the American people during this pandemic. Let's go ahead and uh, have a listen for that. We kept our commitment, Democrats and Republicans, of sending $1,400 rescue checks to 85% of American households. We already sent more than 160 million checks out the door. It's making a difference. You all know it when you go home. 
For many people, it's making all the difference in the world. A single mom in Texas who wrote me, she said she couldn't work. But she said the relief check put food on the table and saved her and her son from eviction from their apartment. A grandmother in Virginia who told me she immediately took her granddaughter to the eye doctor, something she said she put off for months because she didn't have the money. One of the defining images, at least from my perspective in this crisis, has been cars lined up, cars lined up for miles. And not, not people just barely ever start those cars, nice cars, lined up for miles waiting for a box of food to be put in their trunk. I don't know about you, but I didn't ever think I'd see that in America. And all of this is through no fault of their own. No fault of their own, these people are in this position. Well, he's right about that one thing. It, it's through no fault of their own, except for the fact that we all let the government do this to us. That, I think, is our fault. Uh, that, that falls squarely on the shoulders of the American people, letting these politicians usurp all of this power, take all of our God-given freedoms from us, all of our liberties, our, jo- our livelihood. This was our fault for letting them do that. But other than that, this is all the government's fault. He just doesn't want to admit it. And it's really unbelievable. It's, it's so funny to me how people just don't understand, like... The, if this lady really existed and she wrote him the letter saying, oh, thank you so much for the $1,400 because I lost my job and that let me put food on the table. This is what the government does. It reaches into your left pocket, takes a bunch of money from you, and then with its other hand, it puts a little bit back, a fraction of what it took from you, into your right-hand pocket. And you're so busy, focused on what's going on in the right pocket, that you don't realize you're getting fleeced. At the same time, if it weren't for the government shutting everything down, overreacting to this pandemic, if it weren't for the Joe Bidens of the world, she would still have her job. She would need to be begging, sitting there waiting for 1400 measly dollars to come through so that she could put food on her table. She'd be able to do that herself. This is like the, the great Harry Brown quote, government breaks your legs hands you a crutch, and then says, see, if it weren't for the government, you wouldn't be able to walk. Except you're not walking at all. You're hobbling around on fucking crutches, like a gimp. You're a fraction of what you, your former self. You, you can achieve a fraction of what you've been able to achieve before you let government do all this damage to you. Before Joe Biden, you were walking around with two good legs. You had the world by the balls. They come in, they break your legs. They blame it on something. This case, it was the pandemic. And other times, it's some other, you know, something other than government. They always have a scapegoat. Rich people, white supremacists, racism, you name it. They'll, they'll find a scapegoat. It's never the government's fault. But they cripple you. Then they hand you a little, little crutch so you can hobble around. And then pat themselves on the back and say, see, thank you. Thank me. Thank your wise overlords in Washington. If it weren't for us, you wouldn't be able to walk. It's unbelievable. It is unbelievable that people don't see what's going on here. Well, let's keep going. That's why the rescue plan is delivering food and nutrition assistance to millions of Americans facing hunger. 
and hunger's down sharply already. We're also providing rental assistance. You all know this, but the American people, I want to make sure they understand. Keeping people from being evicted from their homes. Providing loans to small businesses that reopen and keep their employees on the job. During these 100 days, an additional 800,000 Americans enrolled in the Affordable Care Act when I established a special sign-up period to do that. 800,000 in that period. We're making one of the largest one-time ever investments, ever, in improving health care for veterans. Critical investments to address the opioid crisis. And maybe most importantly, thanks to the American Rescue Plan, we're on track to cut child poverty in America in half this year. Okay, so he's just further proving the point that I just made, you know. He's going to shut down your business, and then they'll give you a loan so that you can stay. They'll let you open up at 25% capacity, and then they'll let you go into debt in order to operate. Yeah, thank you very much. And, uh, you know, we'll put a moratorium on evictions so you don't have to pay your rent. Uh, your landlords, you know, they, they, they're the ones that are going to have to sit around and wait for some more money from the government. They, they've done an unbelievable job of just destroying the entire economy. And then I have no idea what he's talking about, uh, cutting child poverty in half. Uh, the, the government, if you have looked at the, the charts of poverty in America, we were doing a tremendous job. The free market was doing a tremendous job of bringing poverty down up until about the mid 60s. Okay. And that mid to late 60s is when Lyndon Johnson came in with his war on poverty, Lyndon Johnson's Great Society. And if you look at a chart of poverty, you will see that it was coming down like a fucking cascading hill. You could ski down that motherfucker and you might break your neck up until you get to what, right when the government declares war on poverty. And as soon as they do that, it levels off. And it has been at the exact same level for the last 40 years. There has been no improvement in this, okay? The, the idea that they're going to cut it in half, I, I have no idea where he's getting that from. That, that is absurd. They will not do that. They can't do that because they don't understand what creates wealth. In their mind, in the politician's mind, wealth is just this, it's this fixed pie and we, we just have to divvy it up. We, we can't expand it, right? We just have to take because, you know, Bill Gates over there has four pieces of the pie and you only have like a crumb. So we need to cut up his pieces and give it around to everybody else. That is not how you eliminate poverty. That's how you perpetuate poverty. And the, the statistics bear all that out. But you see, I think what a lot of people have sort of maybe overlooked during this whole thing, especially on the on the right side of the aisle, is that they the government wanted to perpetuate this crisis because Donald Trump, right? They had to get Donald Trump out of office. And as soon as they got him out of office, well, then everything would open back up and and things would go back to normal sort of thing. I mean, that that's what a lot of people thought would happen, um, that that the, the Democrats were, were trying to make this out to be more than it was so that it would crush the economy while Trump was in office and that would help get him out of office. And to an extent, that is true. But what this was really all about, if you listen to, to his speech and, and keep this in the back of your mind while you, you listen to all these clips I'm going to play, because it's there every time. 
the reason they did what they did, the reason they never let a crisis go to waste is because this gives them the excuse to implement all of this shit that they want to put through. All of this stuff, that this family plan, two trillion here, two trillion there, paid family leave, uh, child care, free K through, you know, pre-K, whatever, free college, all of this stuff. The justification for it is, oh, you know, everybody's so poor now. Nobody's working. Nobody can afford this. Nobody can afford that. The reason nobody can afford it is because of government. It's because we've got this government that consumes now like upwards of $7 trillion a year that it's stealing from the American people. And on top of that, they're forcefully closing down businesses. They're, they're shutting down the economy. They, they put us in this position. They, they broke our legs, right? And the reason they did that is so that they could be the, the ones handing out all the crutches. That they, they need us dependent on them. And the way that they get us dependent on them is crippling us to begin with. And what better way to cripple you than this, like, you know, invisible, scary virus that nobody can see and it's going to mutate and you never know the long term effects of this and it's going to be everywhere and anywhere and you never know where it's going to strike. So we better err on the side of caution. And don't worry if you your life, you know, your life's work goes to shit, your business goes to shit, uh, you can't feed your family. Just come over here, vote for me, and I'll take care of you. And that is what this is all about. I think I'm going to skip over the whole 6% growth IMF thing because I'm, I'm running a little long here. Just know that that projection is absolutely ridiculous. There, There is no growth in this economy. And we can kind of get into the weeds of how they measure growth, but there is just no goddamn way that we're, we're going to grow at all. Um, I, I don't think we've been growing since, you know, th- since 2008, really. I think they understate inflation, which helps them with the GDP deflator. And if you don't know what that is, you're going to have to go back and listen to, to previous episodes because I can't keep rehashing all this stuff. But notice that government spending is a, a portion of GDP, right? And if you know anything, if you've learned anything from this podcast, it's that government spending is not growth. Government spending destroys growth, okay? But they use it to measure growth. And so the the government can print trillions of dollars out of thin air, go and spend it, and then understate inflation and claim that the economy is growing. Now, they're never going to claim 6% growth, but uh, whatever they claim is going to be complete bullshit. Uh, they'll, they'll claim growth when we're actually contracting. That's how bad it's going to get. So later on in the speech, she goes on to talk about this whole buy American thing, which is like, it just goes to show you how fucking old Joe Biden is. Uh, l- let's play some of these clips here. Look, think about it. There is simply no reason why the blades for wind turbines can't be built in Pittsburgh instead of Beijing. No reason. None. No reason. So, folks, there's no reason why American American workers can't lead the world in the production of electric vehicles and batteries. I mean, there is no reason. We have this capacity. We're the brightest, best-trained people in the world. The American Jobs Plan is going to create millions of good-paying jobs, jobs Americans can raise a family on, as my dad would then say, with a little breathing room. And all the investments in the American Jobs Plan will be guided by one principle, 
by American. By American. And I might note parenthetically, that does not, that does not violate any trade agreement. It's been the law since the 30s, by American. American tax dollars are going to be used to buy American products made in America to create American jobs. That's the way it's supposed to be, and it will be in this administration. Okay. And right there is just a great example of politicians not knowing how an economy works or how it's supposed to work. Okay. It's not supposed to be the government stealing money at gunpoint from the American people, squandering, you know, uh, eight or nine dollars out of every 10 that they take from us and then using the rest to line the pockets of all these fucking corporations and lobbyists that pay them to write this legislation. You're not supposed to be taking American tax dollars, overpaying American workers to manufacture stuff to, just to create jobs. I mean, this is like, this is absolutely ridiculous. And there is a reason, believe it or not, when it, every time Joe Biden says look or listen, you know the next thing he says is going to be complete bullshit. Uh, there is a reason that wind turbines can't, can't be made in America and that they're made in Beijing or wherever the hell they're made. It's because of unions. It's because of government regulation. It's because they made it so expensive to do business here. Uh, regulations, taxes, worker law, like workman's comp and all this stuff, you know, all the stuff that he's going to talk about later in the speech, paid family leave, all this shit, you know, unemployment insurance, you name it. That's why American businesses are no longer competitive. You see, back when J Joe Biden was in his heyday and like really back in like the 50s, you know, like think like the, the heyday for America, right? American manufacturing, when we were the ones making everything, we didn't have a lot of these labor laws. And I, uh, the, the only one of the only reasons, and I've talked about this before on the show, that we were able to do that was because we destroyed the rest of the world in World War II. We were the only country that had factories. So to the extent that we did have unions and labor laws, and stuff. Nobody could compete with us because they were they were dealing with the piles of rubble from all the bombs that were dropped during World War II. Once they got back up and running, the uh, we went from the world's biggest manufacturer, the world's biggest creditor nation, to the world's debtor nation. We manufactured nothing anymore. All of these jobs have been outsourced. We we borrow, print money out of thin air to we send it over to China to get a bunch of cheap goods. That's the way it works. Anyway, he's going to talk about unions here in a second. So let's go ahead and play that. These are good paying jobs that can't be outsourced. Nearly 90% of the infrastructure jobs created in an American jobs plan do not require a college degree. 75% don't require an associate's degree. The American jobs plan is a blue collar blueprint to build America. That's what it is. And it recognizes Something I've always said in this chamber and the other. Good guys and women on Wall Street, but Wall Street didn't build this country. The middle class built the country, and unions built the middle class. Uh, yeah, no. No, they didn't. He's got it backwards, as usual. This is... I mean, th th this is what I'm talking about. They don't understand how an economy works. They don't understand how to create wealth. The unions did not build the middle class, okay? Free market capitalism created the middle class before we had unions. 
before we had unions and before we had capitalism, there was no middle class. There was the ultra rich, you know, like the aristocrats. And then there was everybody else that was living on the equivalent of a dollar a day. Up until like 1895, people lived on a dollar a day. Maybe it was a dollar 95 a day or something like that. A- absolute abject poverty, the, the likes of which none of us can even imagine. Okay. And then all of a sudden, we, we have this industrial revolution. We have this unbelievable explosion in free market activity with remember the government at the time. We had no income tax. We had no um, no Federal Reserve. There was no welfare. There was no Social Security. There was no minimum wage. There were no unions. There was nothing, okay? There was just a very, very limited government and a lot of freedom for people to operate. And that created what became the middle class. Unions came along and, and destroyed the middle class. Uh, unions came along as a way originally to limit... The, the amount of black labor that could undercut white workers, okay? Unions, the, the roots of unions, if you want to talk about white supremacy and racism, that was unions, okay? The, the, and they will talk about, like, this is, this is no secret if you actually crack a fucking textbook, okay? They will, you could actually read their justification for unions was that all of these, all of these black workers the, the only way that they could be competitive in the free market system, which, which really helped them out, was that they could undercut white workers for labor. You know, it's like if um, if, if a racist, uh, you know, uh, factory guy is looking to hire people, right, and he can he can pay a white worker, you know, five bucks an hour or something like that, or he can get, you know, uh, four black guys to work for a dollar an hour. Well, he, he's going to go with the four black guys, regardless of how racist he is. And this was a problem for all these white workers. And so they unionized and they said, look, all of these all of these black guys are coming in. They're taking our jobs. We need to unionize so that they can't do that. That was the entire purpose of unions to begin with. It didn't build the fucking middle class. That is a bunch of bullshit. That is what they teach you in these government schools. It is a bunch of it's pure bullshit, pure bullshit. And it's because of these unions that we've lost all these manufacturing jobs overseas, that they are the reason why we don't manufacture things in, in, in America anymore. One, one of the many reasons is that it's too expensive. It's too expensive to deal with these unions. It's too expensive to pay their workers. It's much easier to outsource it to other countries who don't have these, these uh, powerful unions. And if you go back, this all, all this whole mentality of these blue collar jobs and the you know we're gonna build the roads and the infrastructure with these job plans. The, the, this all goes back to this another completely debunked bullshit idea that that still perpetuates to this day. I have no idea how. Going back to the Great Depression and how all of these jobs programs that FDR came up with pulled us out of the Great Depression. And they built the, the, uh, the interstate highway and all this great stuff. Listen, um, none of that pulled us out of the Great Depression, okay? These are not productive jobs, okay? We, we don't understand. You can't direct an economy with a bullhorn. Joe Biden does not know what the economy needs. He doesn't. We have a limited amount of resources, and the entire goal of the economy is to allocate those resources as efficiently as possible. Labor is also a finite resource, okay? The idea that these jobs programs pulled us out of the Great Depression is a fantasy. 
it's a fantasy. They go back and listen to the episodes I've done on this, but they, they did it for eight years. And they'll even admit that after eight years of try, of throwing money at all kinds of jobs programs and paying farmers to you know not farm their crops and all this stupid shit that they did none of it worked unemployment was stubbornly high it was higher than when they started i mean the, i don't understand why it, it's just tragic that we've never learned our lessons from history and we just continue to repeat them anyway the insanity continues let's see what else we got here Ah, uh, yes, he goes on to talk about education and how the the rest of the world is catching up to the U.S. because our, our kids aren't in government schools long enough. Let's go ahead and roll it. I would say parenthetically, if we were sitting down, we set a bipartisan committee together and said, okay, we're going to decide what we do in terms of government providing for free education. I wonder whether we'd think, as we did in the 20th century, that 12 years is enough in the 21st century. I doubt it. Twelve years is no longer enough today to compete with the rest of the world in the 21st century. That's why my American Families Plan guarantees four additional years of public education for every person in America, starting as early as we can. The great universities in this country have conducted studies of the last 10 years. It shows that adding two years of universal high-quality preschool for every three-year-old and four-year-old, no matter what background they come from, puts them in a position to be able to compete all the way through 12 years and increases exponentially their prospect of graduating and going on beyond graduation. The research shows when a young child goes to school, not daycare, they're far more likely to graduate from high school and go to college or something after high school. When you add two years of free community college on top of that, you begin to change the dynamic. Dude, I, I'm sorry. I mean, th these clips are so slow and boring, but it would just take me forever to like edit out all these little pauses and things that he does. It, it's almost as if he's trying to put you to sleep, and he's doing a fantastic job. But my God, they, they have our kids now, right? From, what is it, preschool through uh, high school, right? What, what is that? Like 15 years or something like that? What What are they going to do in an extra four years that they couldn't do already in 15? It's not like our, our kids are getting a good education now. Look at the numbers. Th these schools are abject failure by any way you want to measure it. Graduation rates, literacy rates, uh, test scores. This is a complete disaster. So w what do they think they're going to accomplish? You know, it's like the, the war in Afghanistan, which he talks about later. And I don't know if I'll have time to play the clip, but it's like, what are we going to accomplish with a couple more years? Okay. Yeah. They'll, we'll get them when they're fucking pre preschoolers, like pre preschool or whatever pre K is pre kindergarten. Uh, okay. That that's going to make all the world of difference, right? Yeah. Okay. A couple more years of government school. That'll solve everything. Except that the, the more money we throw at the education system, the dumber the kids get. The longer they're there, the dumber they get. Now they're, they're going to college. You go to college and you're like a s somewhat normal human being and you come out a fucking blue-haired social justice warrior, vegan, uh, non-binary, whatever the fuck these kids are these days. Yeah, yeah. Let, let, let's give them a few more years of that. that they'll, they'll really figure out how, how many genders there are. 
and they'll they'll I'm sure they'll develop another you know dozen or so microaggressions that they can then um, freak out about for the rest of their lives. Yeah, unbelievable. And we'll increase Pell grants and invest in historical black colleges and universities, tribal colleges, minority-serving institutions. The reason is they don't have the endowments, but their students are just as capable of learning about cybersecurity, just as capable of learning about metallurgy, all the things that are going on that provide those jobs of the future. <laughs> metallurgy? What the hell is he talking about here? Metallurgy? Uh, of course, we're, you know, it's not just about education. We're going to give it to the black and the brown people because racism and white supremacy and all that. <laughs> okay, man. This really is just like absolutely ridiculous at this point. I don't even know what else to say. We got to move on. <laughs> Metallurgy, though. <laughs> I'd like to I'd like to see all the um all the minority kids that are, are going to school for metallurgy these days. In fact, you know, when I was graduating, that was like over half of the degrees were in metallurgy. It wasn't liberal arts, it wasn't gender studies or anything like that. It was metallurgy. They're all going to learn how to extract like the metals from uh, from their ores or something like that. <laughs> so ridiculous. All right, let, let, let's see what else he has in store in this brilliant plan after he's got your kids for um, their entire lives. Second thing we need, American Families Plan will provide access to quality, affordable child care. We guarantee, when I'm proposing the legislation, we guarantee that low- and middle-income families will pay no more than 7% of their income for high-quality care for children up to the age of five. The most hard-pressed working families won't have to spend a dime. Third, the American Families Plan will finally provide up to 12 weeks of paid leave and medical leave, family medical leave. Okay, and, and here we go. This is going to be the biggest disaster in child care since... Well, probably ever. I mean, this they're going to do to child care what they did to the college degree by making it free or capping it at 7% of your income. I mean, this is insane what they're going to do. Watch what happens to the cost of child care if this actually goes through, okay? Because think about what they're doing here. And I, I don't know where they come up with these these projections of how much it's going to cost. They're they're complete bullshit. They, they're complete fantasies. Okay, they like they take a look at all the people that are spending money on childcare right now, and childcare is fucking expensive. It's like you know, a buddy of mine just had a kid uh, a, a couple of years ago, and he he was looking at uh, the the cost of childcare to like hire like a full time nanny. Or, you know, it's like fifty sixty grand a year. Uh, okay. But like, and these daycare services, they cost a hell of a lot. And so uh, most people, when they pay for childcare services, they pay for like the bare, like as, as little as possible, right? It's like you, you drop them off when you go to work, you pick them up when you come back, right? And if, if there's any, like some, like my sisters, they drop their kids off in my parents' house all the time. Like my dad is basically running a daycare center at this point and they're, they're saving a fortune. But when you start capping it at 7% and no matter how much childcare services you use, it's never going to cost more than 7% of your income. Well, that changes everything. That's a horse of a different color. Maybe, maybe my dad will pay the seven percent, and my sisters can just my sister can just drop her kids off at daycare all day. And then think of what think of what happens to the the daycare centers, right? So now that it uh, the the cost of of daycare to the actual parent is capped at seven percent. Well, the the demand for childcare is going to go through the roof, which means what? 
Well, daycare centers can jack up their fucking prices because, hey, you only have to pay 7% of your income. The rest is going to be on the government on the government dole. This is what they did with the, with college degrees. You know, they they made college affordable, right? They they loan directly to students now. The the college so everybody can get into everybody has all the money that they need to get into college. Okay. Well, now there's more demand for college. Colleges know that there's no limit to the amount of money that the, these 18-year-old kids could borrow. Tuition goes through the fucking roof. The exact same thing is going to happen to childcare. The exact same thing. Okay, uh, demand will will go up because you've put a price cap in. Prices will soar not only because demand is going to soar, but because they know that they are only going to be responsible for a, a portion of their prices. So they'll they'll start charging up for all kinds of stuff, and the and people will leave their kids there longer, which will cost more. Who who knows what kind of other services they'll start offering, right? It's like, uh, yeah, maybe maybe they would just sit there and watch your kid, but now maybe they'll feed them. Maybe they'll give them like two meals throughout the day or something like that. Charge you for that. I mean, after all, what do you care? You're not paying for it. No, the, 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 we'll just we're just gonna tax the rich. Uh, yeah, this this is nonsense. And then of course the the paid family leave thing. I mean, if you thought it was it was hard to get a job now, look at countries that do this like uh, France or Spain. It's like impossible to get jobs there because of the the increased cost to hiring. And, and Joe Biden's talking. There's no reason that we could manufacture. We can't manufacture here. Uh, yeah, there is. Uh, 12 weeks of paid family leave for uh, any excuse that you can come up with. I mean, people are just going to come up with any excuse to take a 12-week vacation. That'd be incredible. Obviously. Obviously, they're going to do that. And if employers have to eat that cost, guess what? They're either going to have to fucking cut your salary by a lot or hire a lot less people. They're going to start hiring people as like contractors, right? So they don't have to give you the paid family leave. That's what they do in these other countries. Like like Spain is nobody is like a, a full time employee over there. It's all just contractual work that you you work from contract to contract. So that's the only way that they can avoid all these costly government regulations and and worker benefits. Uh, it's just going to be a complete disaster. Uh, he goes on to talk about healthcare. Like I've covered that a lot on the show. You know the cost of prescription drugs and things like that. You know, I, I, I'm I running a little long here. I don't think I have time to talk about that. He talks about uh, taxes and how corporations are, aren't paying any tax. You know, these they're, they're missing out on hundreds of billions of dollars of tax revenue. We've covered that before. He bemoans the, the wealth gap and mentions trickle-down economics. I, I mean, dude, tri- trickle-down economics is is not economics. That's just a bullshit term that politicians came up with. And and we've gone over the wealth gap uh, extensively on this show, so you'll have to go back and listen to, to prior episodes. But th- th- he talks about how the wealth gap has increased so much just over the last year. And it's like, yeah, no shit. Because you shut down all of these small businesses, you created trillions of dollars out of thin air, you gave it to the American people to spend, but only they can only spend it at the biggest corporations that are still allowed to operate. Anytime you're going to create money with the Federal Reserve and dole it out to either Wall Street to blow up the stock market bubble, or you're going to give it to the American people directly to spend, 
Well, where are they going to spend it? They're going to spend it at wealthy people's businesses. The money just goes right back to the rich, one way, shape, or form, right? If you give it to Wall Street, well, who, who's who got the, the accounts at Wall Street? It, it's wealthy people. If you give it to Joe Sixpack to go spend, well, where is he going to spend it? He's going to spend it at a business that belongs to a rich guy, right? So the money just goes to the rich people one way, shape, or form, obviously. And that's why you've seen the largest increase in the wealth gap since Barack Obama. Once Barack Obama took office in the in the depths of the Great Recession, what was their plan? Well, to create you know trillions of dollars out of thin air and and blow up a stock market bubble to create a wealth effect. And as we've been spending trillions and trillions of dollars, as you as you've seen the Federal Reserve's balance sheet grow, so too you've seen the wealth gap grow. It it it's not a coincidence. It's monetary policy. And if you want the wealth gap to shrink, you need to end the Fed. That's it. That's it. I want to play this one clip from, uh, you know, he sort of glossed over all this foreign policy stuff. He talked about Russia, Iran, North Korea really quickly. And then he got into the, uh, the Afghan war, which I thought was very rich. So we're going to play that real quick. And American leadership means ending the forever war in Afghanistan. We have, without hyperbole, the greatest fighting force in the history of the world. I'm the first president in 40 years who knows what it means to have a son serving in a war zone. Today, we have service members serving in the same war zone as their parents did. We have service members in Afghanistan who are not yet born on 9-11. The war in Afghanistan, as we remember the debates here, were never meant to be multi-generational undertakings of nation-building. We went to Afghanistan to get terrorists. The terrorists who attacked us on 9-11. And we said we would follow Osama bin Laden to the gates of hell to do it. If you've been in the upper Konar Valley, you've kind of seen the gates of hell. And we delivered justice to bin Laden. We degraded the terrorist threat of al-Qaeda in Afghanistan. And after 20 years of value, Valor and sacrifice. It's time to bring those troops home. Huh. You don't say. Imagine that. It's time to bring the troops home. Wouldn't that be nice? It, wouldn't it be nice if we had like a May 1st deadline to bring all the troops home? Like uh, tomorrow? I think tomorrow was the day we were supposed to do it, right? Why not do it now? You could, do, you could almost have done it within your first 100 days. Wouldn't that be nice? Oh, but no, no, no. You extended it. You extended it to to September 11th for some symbolic bullshit virtue signaling gesture, so you can have this ceremonial thing. And I don't even think you're gonna actually that that's not even gonna come to fruition. You'll find another excuse to push this back. I I just thought this was hilarious. It's almost as if he's not the commander in chief of the armed forces, and he could just bring the troops home right now. What well, what's he waiting for? If it's time, it's time. Let's do it. Why are we waiting? And why are we waiting till September 11th? Allegedly. Why not just do it now? Anybody want to ask that question? Unbelievable. It's just the gall that these politicians have. It never ceases to amaze me. And it gets a round of applause from all of these politicians, too, that you know are going to be putting all sorts of political pressure on him to not do this in a couple of months. They'll find some other reason as to why we can't fucking leave Afghanistan. Or no, now I think the, the new excuse is like uh, women's rights or something like that. Oh, God. It, it, it really, it, a round of applause for that. 
as if all those pussy politicians didn't vote for these wars and to extend these wars and do everything possible to keep this military industrial complex going. Yeah, round of applause. Give me a fucking break. Make no mistake, in 20 years, terrorism has metastasized. The threat has evolved way beyond Afghanistan. Those of you in the intelligence committees, the foreign relations committee, defense committees, you know well we have to remain vigilant against the threats to the United States wherever they come from. Al-Qaeda and ISIS are in Yemen, Syria, Somalia, other places in Africa, in the Middle East, and beyond. And we won't ignore what our intelligence agencies have determined to be the most lethal terrorist threat to the homeland today. White supremacy is terrorism. We're not going to ignore that either. My fellow Americans, look, we have to come together. Now, this is this is the, the most revealing part of this clip for a number of reasons, right? We need to end the war in Afghanistan. But don't forget that these terrorists, are, they're no longer in Afghanistan anymore. They're everywhere else, over in Africa and the Middle East. They're everywhere. They're in Yemen. They're in fucking Somalia. We got to go. So we got to go out. Of, we got to leave Afghanistan. But don't worry. We're going to keep listening to the central intelligence agencies. Tell us where the terrorists are. And then we're going to go get them. And oh, by the way, the biggest terrorism threat is white supremacy. And we all know that America is white supremacy. So we're going to turn this whole apparatus in on so-called white supremacists. No big deal. We're just we're not going to ignore that either. Right. Just gloss just throws that in there at the end. This is some really creepy shit, man. This is really creepy shit. This whole um, military industrial complex, this spying apparatus that was supposed to be used on these terrorists is going to be turned inland on the American people deemed white supremacists, whatever that means these days. I mean, that that, that term gets thrown around so much that it, it's as meaningless as uh, racism is now. But the idea that white supremacy is terrorism, right? Like uh, the, the Charlottesville thing. A, a couple hundred idiots walking around with torches is terrorism. That, that's the biggest threat that we face. Uh, okay. Okay, yeah, unbelievable. And they're, they're going to put you on fucking terror watch list like they did with, uh, what's his face, Nick Fuentes. Not for being a terrorist or anything like, not for like, uh, just for having really bad ideas or something. That gets you on a terrorist watch list now. And here we go. This is where we are headed, and this should fucking really scare a lot of people. His Department of Justice, I have a another um, headline here that I don't have time to get into, but now that he's labeled white supremacy terrorism, they're actively considering domestic terrorism law to target white supremacists. Now, go ahead and define what a white supremacist is, and, and they, they can use this for anything. Uh, they can use it. To, they can put you on no fly list. They can get you canceled. They can basically dictate every aspect of your life to you if you're deemed a white supremacist. So have fun with that, American people. And I, I did want to, you know, I, I tried to get get everything in here. He talks about guns as well, but you know, we've we've sort of covered that a lot on, on the show too. So I'm gonna skip over that and just go right to the end of his speech here because it really is. He touches on everything that I I spend my entire life debunking on this um, podcast. So hang on, let's get let's give that a listen. Look, in conclusion: as we gather here tonight, the image of a violent mob assaulting this capital, desecrating our democracy remain vivid in all our minds. Lives were put at risk, many of your lives. Lives were lost. Extraordinary courage was summoned. The insurrection was an existential crisis, a test 
of whether our democracy could survive, and it did. But the struggle is far from over. The question of whether our democracy will long endure is both ancient and urgent. As old as our republic, still vital today, can our democracy deliver on its promise that all of us, created equal in the image of God, had a chance to lead lives of dignity, respect, and possibility? Can our democracy deliver the most, to the most pressing needs of our people? Can our democracy overcome the lies, anger, hate, and fears that have pulled us apart? America's adversaries, the autocrats of the world, are betting we can't. And I promise you, they're betting we can't. They believe we're too full of anger and division and rage. They look at the images of the mob that assaulted the Capitol as proof that the sun is setting on American democracy. But they're wrong. You know it, I know it. But we have to prove them wrong. We have to prove democracy still works, that our government still works, and we can deliver for our people. Our Constitution opens with the words, as trite as it sounds, we the people. Well, it's time to remember that we the people are the government, you and I, not some force in a distant capital, not some powerful force that we have no control over. It's us. It's we the people. In another era, when our democracy was tested, Franklin Roosevelt reminded us, in America, we do our part. We all do our part. That's all I'm asking, that we do our part, all of us. But if we do that, we will meet the center challenge of the age by proving that democracy is durable and strong. Autocrats will not win the future. We will. America will. And the future belongs to America. As I stand here tonight before you in a new and vital hour of life and democracy of our nation, and I can say with absolute confidence, I have never been more confident or optimistic about America, not because I'm president, because of what's happening with the American people. We've stared into the abyss of insurrection and autocracy, pandemic and pain, and we, the people, did not flinch. The very moment our adversaries were certain we'd pull apart and fail, we came together, we united. With light and hope, we summoned a new strength, new resolve to position us to win the competition of the 21st century. On our way to a union more perfect, more prosperous, and more just, as one people, one nation, and one America. Folks, as I told every world leader I've ever met with over the years, it's never, ever, ever been a good bet to bet against America, and it still isn't. Uh, I almost don't even know where to start with that, but that, that's how he wrapped up the speech. Uh, if Joe Biden is as confident as ever in America that he would never bet against America, bet the fucking farm against America. Short that shit like fucking the, the hedge funds shorted GameStop. Except that there will not be a short squeeze in this. Uh, America's days, uh, the best days of America are way behind her, okay? You know, all this talk about democracy, and he kind of used it interchangeably with re the republic. Listen, d like I said at the top of the show, democracies fail precisely because of everything that he laid out in this speech. Everything that he talked about, the government doing, is why democracies fail.
That's why they fail. They go bankrupt, promising all a bunch of free stuff to a naive electorate, to the masses. And that is not what America is about. It's not what the, the government was not about this. It, the, this government of the people, by the people, we are the government. That is a fantasy, okay? They are the rulers. We are the ruled. But he's also not asking everybody to do their part. He's not asking anybody to do anything except for the rich to pay their fair share. That's all. Everybody else just gets to sit on their ass and get all these things given to them by government. That's not doing your part. And that's not what the government was here to do. The government of the United States is supposed to be different. It's not supposed to be Europe. It's not supposed to be some other country. The only reason we have a federal government was to protect our inalienable rights, in theory, right? So far, so good, right? How, how are they doing so far on that? Because the, the, the second a, a pandemic hits, uh, all those rights go out the window, apparently. <laughs> the idea that we didn't flinch. That's another thing he said. We didn't flinch? Really? What was the last year if that wasn't a flinch? It's like the biggest, longest flinch of all time. We're still flinching. But the government does not exist to give you stuff. They're not here to provide free child care, free uh, college, free community college, 12 weeks of paid leave. They're not here to create jobs. They're not here to uh, tax you and spend it on, on unionized jobs to build stuff here in America. They're not supposed to be doing any of that. In fact, they don't have the authority to do any of that. All they were supposed to do was, was to protect those inalienable rights that are listed in the Bill of Rights. That, that is it. And the problem, the reason this democracy is going to fail is because we became a democracy. We were supposed to be a republic. Obviously, we were not able to keep it. And precisely because we've had a string of politicians like Joe Biden get, uh, promising everything in these speeches, using the government for things that it was not designed to do, that will put the final nail in the coffin of this experiment in America. This democracy will fail like all of the others before it. And unfortunately, the American people have not learned their lessons of history. And I have very little faith as to what's going to come from the ashes of this democracy will be anything but something far worse. I don't see in the tea leaves that we're just going to rise as this, uh, you know, libertarian, limited government, limited government, free markets, that that kind of th the kind of thing that actually builds prosperity, that built all the wealth that we spent the last hundred years squandering. That, that doesn't seem to be the path we're going. And I got to wrap there, guys. I, I went way over time today. Sorry, it was a really long, boring speech, but I, I thought about breaking it up into two episodes, but I'll just make it one long one. Enjoy your weekend. I probably, I don't know if I'm going to be able to get this episode out tonight. Uh, it'll probably be Saturday morning when you hear it because I got to go start the happy hour thing here. It's about seven o'clock now. So do me a favor. If you liked what you heard today, make sure you download and subscribe. Subscribe to our YouTube channel and find some clips. I know Justin's going to bust his ass putting some clips out here that are very shareable. And it's the, you know, the creme de la creme, the, the cream of the crop, the best of that the episode find those clips that you like and share those with people that you want to get to listen to this show we got to grow this this base a little more we can't have the american people buying into all this bullshit that they're talking about at the state of the union it, there, there's too much on the line here to let them perpetuate all of this propaganda so go do that for me and i will be back on mon uh tuesday with a brand new episode for you and until then you guys know the drill just keep on peddling that so-called fiction peace